0: You're listening to It Simply Isn't Done, a podcast of Portage Chapel Hill.
1: I am Barry Petrucci.
0: I'm Jess Davenport.
1: And together we are the Irreverent Reverend Reverends. Reverends.
0: It Simply Isn't Done is a podcast both about the state of the church, um, because the church is not done, and God is still working with us, and about some of the things we do around here, which we frequently hear are things that are simply not done. Correct. And we're glad you're here with us for the ride. Welcome to the second week of the Earn Save Give series. I am back from a, a brief hiatus. It's grateful. <laughs> Grateful to be back. I had sinus surgery. I did not get a nose job, as Barry announced, at the 11 o'clock service. (laughs) At any rate, we talked about what what Wesley might have meant um, when he said, save all you can, and what it might mean for us today to look at stewardship. Our scripture was Leviticus 19, 9 through 10.
1: It was, and if you want to... (laughs) If you want to skip the scripture and the message, you can check out the notes and go to that marker. uh, For now, let's give a listen. Hear now this scripture from Leviticus. When you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. And don't gather up every remaining bit of your harvest. Also, do not pick your vineyard clean or gather up all the grapes that have fallen there. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God." A word of God that is still speaking.
0: It is good to be back. Thank you for your prayers and well wishes uh, for my sinus surgery. I'm very grateful, and I'm, I'm so excited to breathe. So it's, <laughs> it's really lovely. Um, let's pray together. Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we are in week two of our Earn, Save, Give series based on Wesley's theology of stewardship, profit, and saving. So here at Chapel Hill, we're a United Methodist, and as such, we have theological guidance given to us um, from our founder, John Wesley, and many others throughout history. You might remember that last week, Barry talked about this. Uh, John Wesley was an Anglican priest Um, he was a rather serious fellow. He wasn't really actually trying to even start a new denomination. He was trying to reform Anglicanism. And so what ended up happening was this new expression of Christianity, particularly here in the States um, that has its roots in this Anglican understanding. And we call ourselves Methodist. One of the most resonant and uh, unique messages of our expression of faith is found in his use of money sermon. That's what the series is based on. Um, and it was really last week. I find that's what, that's what most people kind of get confused about because it's earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And sometimes people think, wow, that sounds a little counterintuitive, at least that beginning part with Christian messaging. So if you didn't get a chance to hear um, Barry's message, I would encourage you to listen to it, to learn a little bit more about that earn all you can because there's realities that we have to participate within our society. Our economic system is structured in a particular way And we want to do that to the best of our ability without harming others. But it requires some consideration. Today we get to talk about saving. Saving all you can. As we go into this, I want to give some context as to where we're coming from. So this message is about stewardship more broadly. It's not just about finances. This is more so about how we deal with what we've been entrusted. Any resource, time, talents, any sort of energy. But I did wanna talk specifically about the finance piece for a second because um, it needs some demystifying. A lot of us come from places where we have this kind of fear and it's like, the church wants our money. And it's kind of a scary thing. And and I appreciate that and I understand that because for the majority of the church's history, it wasn't a (laughs) nonprofit. The church was not a nonprofit, so it really was aiming to gain. We're set up and we're structured a little bit differently, so I want to talk about what that looks like. Um, And I also want to do that because, you know, what as pastors we end up seeing, we we know that money, resources, um, cause the most friction in relationships, within families, within romantic partnerships, within friendships. And we don't want that to be the case within the church. We want to be really clear and transparent about how all the money stuff works so here's how it works we have a set of elected leaders a part of this crew Um, if you're interested in like who they are uh, you can come to church conference ooh (laughs) december 6th (laughs) many of them you know they're here Um, and once a year our finance committee says hey um, you all are responsible for overseeing money. So if you're on the facilities team, how much money do you think you're going to need to maintain the facilities, and with any goals you might have? And we do that for every team, and they look at where we've been, where we're going, and they kind of put together a budget. And then the finance team puts all of those budgets together into one, adds them up. There's some prayer, there's some discernment about what that might look like, and they come up with a number. Um, and we're a nonprofit. Right? So we want to zero out that budget. We're really not trying, we're not trying to earn money. We want to kind of look at our general budget, what it looks like. And this year, it's about $830,000. And that includes, uh, minimally, a built-in tithe. There's about $86,000 that we designate to go to other organizations um, that we care about, other ministries, other places, throughout this community, all the way throughout the world. So our stewardship regarding finance is really to meet the goals our leaders have set forth in the ministry with what we want to accomplish. Um, There is no dragon sitting on gold in the basement. Although that would be pretty cool. We could probably charge people to come see that. (laughs) And part of our stewardship and our giving is that um, we assume you're here because you're pursuing uh, life with God and that if this is your church home, part of your giving back to God would be to this community to reach the goals we have set as a community in this place. A lot of those are minimal. Like A lot of them are literally, let's let's keep the lights on, right? Let's make sure we can uh, snow plow. And there are a lot more creative, wonderful ministry endeavors along with that. There is one thing I wanted to mention because it's very big and visible. There have been saints, uh, both present and some currently, that contribute uh, to a specific fund, and uh, the interest from that fund can only be used on capital expenses. So a few years ago, we had to redo the roof, we were able to do that. We've had some more invisible work redoing the HVAC systems, but more visibly, we've been able to paint this space. It's been 27 years right, since the space was painted. Um, and we were able to use some of that capital expense from that separate money, it's not out of the general budget, it's a little bit separate to use in that way. I just wanted to let you all know that because it might seem like, oh my gosh, Chapel Hill is like, <laughs> <laughs> money's flying. And we're really grateful that folks had set up that account and we wanna be able to use it in line with our stewardship goals. So I wanted to mention that at the forefront just so we can demystify some of what that budgeting process looks like. Um, and that so you all, you all know what's coming up. In the spring, we're going to have like a stewardship uh, campaign. It's going to be a little more formal. And we want to start talking about the basic principles of stewardship now so they can kind of sink in and we can consider it and think about it. So when we get to that time, um, when we're coming into a pastoral transition, you all have the information you need to live into your discipleship call here in your faith community. All right. Now we get to talk about John Wesley again. Um, have any of you ever read any of Wesley's sermons? Yeah, not many. <laughs> There's some sheepish dance going up. Y'all, if we preached like this, you would not be here. He was brutal. He was awful to hear from. Here's a little snippet from his part on saving. Do not waste any part of a so precious talent merely in gratifying the desire of the eye by superfluous or expensive apparel or needless ornaments. Waste no parts of it in curiously adorning your homes with painting, <laughs> gilding, books. <laughs> <laughs> Let your neighbors who know nothing better do this. Let the dead bury their dead. Like, can you imagine? That's a lot, right? So he, um, he was eccentric. He did have a lot of really good wisdom in what he was saying. Wesley's save-all-you-can principle was really about... Not spending to keep up with the Joneses. Not spending for pride or folly. Not spending to have markers of wealth so that people will look at you or perceive you in a certain way. Um, That's something we can resonate with. Like, that's very in line with the message of Jesus, consistently saying, hey, you don't need to make a spectacle of yourself in your faith or in life generally. Wesley despises status symbols, he does not despise wealth. He despises using it to flaunt a position, right? To be seen a certain way or to even internally prove to yourself that you're worthy somehow because you can afford X, Y, or Z. And we see that principle tying back into our scripture for today. You don't need to spend every penny you earn in order to prove something, especially when there are people who are hungry, when there are people who lack basic needs. In a perfect world, In God's vision for us, everyone has everything that they need. That's how God created this whole place. But as humans, we have this predisposition of fear and scarcity and greed. We have a really hard time with that. So I think God pretty reasonably said, yeah, live off 90%. Save 10% for others so that they might have what they might need to thrive. You don't need to accrue it all. You don't need to spend it all. This applies, frankly, uh, much more broadly uh, to ways that are at least more painful to me than regarding money and wealth. When we look at our resources, all of them together, I need to consider this message much more about my time and about my own energy and capacity than I do money. I like saying yes. I like being able to do it all. No one can do it all. And what has to suffer in that pursuit? My health, my family, my own free time, my friends. Like I'm in a stage of life with two small kids and both me and my spouse work full time. My autonomy looks a lot different than it did six or seven years ago. I cannot do whatever I please. My capacity as a person looks a lot different because these sweet little rambunctious nuggets take a lot out of me. <laughs> it's a lot of physical, hands-on parenting, and it's good. And I want to do it, and it's a stage of life that I'm in right now, but it also means it's a shift in where I have to direct my capacity, my time, and my energy, and we all have seasons of life that require different amounts of us in terms of our capacity, our season, and our energy. Saving all you can means looking at your values and prioritizing where your time goes, being a good steward of your time, right? Family, work, your faith, your friendships. I'm assuming some values, I think that's fair. Whatever your values are, your resources should align with your values. That is stewardship, resources and values in alignment. And that takes work. That takes work, it is not easy. Um, I'm a self-confessed bad millennial in that I need to literally write things down for them to kind of sear into my brain. I can't type them, it's not the same. I have to write them down. So every year, Tori and I kind of do this dorky thing, but I love it, we call it a summit. And uh, we review the year together and then we make goals for the year and I have to literally write them down in lists (laughs) and then we check in with them over time. And that's the only way I can really assess, make this assessment of did I spend my resources, did I spend my time and energy where I really wanted to spend it? Now that does not end up perfectly throughout the year, um, but I, I do need to see it. I need to see, be able to ask myself, is my time and my energy going to what I say I value, what I proclaim to value. This gets harder for me when it comes to energy and capacity. I think for a lot of us, this is probably the hardest one. Do we give our energy the first fruits of who we are to the the people and the places we find most valuable? You know, as humans, we have this negativity bias, and that's what makes this hard. We tend to focus on the negative. You could receive 100 full, beautiful, substantive compliments and one negative one, and what's going to stick in your head? What's going to stick in your heart? That one negative one. Right? Is that worth the energy you give to it? Is that worth the time and attention? Maybe sometimes, if it's something you really need to think about, but more often, probably not. Are there people in your life you kind of have to be in relationship with, but they don't seem super invested in you or your growth? They nitpick all the time. Is that dynamic worth the energy that you give it? Is the phone game you mindlessly play worth the energy you give it? For me, it's two dots, and the answer is sometimes. <laughs> Other times, no. This one is the hardest and I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Is stressing about something you really don't have all the information about in the future that you have no control over (laughs) worth the energy you spend, (laughs) right? Here's another thing, I, I can say this easily here because it has not happened here, but I learned early on from other wise pastors to not accept or even read any criticism that is anonymous. If you get a letter and it's unsigned, they've said, not worth your time. Nothing good or substantive can come from someone who is unwilling to have a real conversation or be accountable for their words. I think that advice could apply to many of us here in many different arenas, perhaps in many of our online forums or our work relationships. Right? That was a teaching about saving energy for what matters, for what I value, for what can be transformative what can be real relationship. It's not about avoiding critical feedback, right? It's about being able to engage with the critical feedback that matters from people who are rooting for you, who want you to succeed. Does what you give your energy to align with what you say you value? John Wesley wasn't suggesting that we sock all of our money away and never look at it. He was speaking to a broader principle of stewardship, of following Christ Do your resources align with your values? Do you save, hold back some of yourself, your resources, for what gives you meaning, for what gives you life, for what you feel called to? Here's the rough part of it. We are not God. We are finite. One of our biggest issues with stewardship is that we don't like that. We don't like the limits our bodies place on us. Right? Our boundaries place on us. It's hard. Right? We, we don't like to feel like we can't do something we wanna do. We don't like our, our finite understandings of um, how we've been trained and what jobs we can pursue and the places we live and the family that we have. But we do have specific bodies and specific jobs and specific fields, specific hardships, and specific relationships with people. And interestingly, The freedom of abundant life Jesus was talking about was about realizing those limits. Realizing those limits and using our resources therein to live the kind of life God wants for us. One of justice and enoughness for all with joy where our resources align with our values, God's values. Stewardship is about the pursuit of being a disciple and finding wholeness through God and one another. And I say this to kind of counter the the church wants all your money. Friends, if you don't have an emergency savings account, and you're tithing 10% of your income to the church, you have no wiggle room, there are no uh, gilding, there's no frivolities or other stuff that Wesley said, I want you to hear me as your pastor say, take a break from the tithe and set up an emergency fund take a break and set up an emergency fund. Now, I did not clear that with the finance team, (laughs) right? But it is in line with who we are as people because the church does not want your money. The church wants you to be a disciple here in the space together.
1: Man, (laughs) sorry.
0: I'm glad you didn't say anything else, Mary.
1: (laughs) A lot lot of people say that (laughs) to me. The wizard has
0: joined us. But as we think about and consider that, not just with our money or like an emergency savings account, if you think about that with your time and your capacity, I mean, friends, you cannot be a cheerful giver if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're super stressed about when the other shoe will drop. You cannot, right? And, and we want people to experience um, wholeness and the ability to be a cheerful giver and to think about that safety net, not just in terms of finances, but about your time and capacity. We don't always have to be at 100% at everything all the time. Sometimes we can reserve a little bit of who we are and a little bit for, for those places that pop up with the people, the things we value most in our life. Part of our faith life is being good stewards. And we're able to do that when we make decisions where our values align with those resources. And I wanted to mention that because that's kind of the flip side, right? It's kind of the flip side. It's the other end of the coin of saving all you can and kind of hoarding it. But sometimes it's giving so much that you have nothing left to give. Or you can't make good decisions because you're giving so much. You can't be clear-headed about where you're at. Saving all you can is about finding that sweet spot of discipleship, of using your resources in a way that's aligned with who you are and who God is calling us all to be. And I hope that in this series... We can start to do some of that really important spiritual work to align our resources with our values because there is no more intense time of year in our culture competing with that, constantly telling us that if you had X, Y, or Z, you'd be worthy, you'd be more whole, you'd be better somehow. So we have to think about this. Invest some time in this. And this week, I invite you to take stock of your resources beyond your finances, um, but including them, and your time, and your skills, and your talents, and your energy. And consider if they align with what you say you value. And invite God into that honest accounting. And we can see where we might go together. Amen.
1: All right, welcome back welcome just week two on john wesley mm. john wesley mm-hmm. so you uh you you took the time to actually read the sermon as i have and
0: um, <laughs> probably our due diligence <laughs> it
1: was, yeah it was sort of minimal yeah uh since the the book that we're working on um burn safe give is based on Wesley's mm-hmm. theology generally, but particularly on a, on a sermon that he did in 1760. Um, any, anything that particularly influenced you out of the sermon, as you or excuse me, out of his sermon as you prepared your own sermon?
0: Yeah, I think um, obviously I really focused on the part that applied to save, and I'm I'm constantly fascinated by how pragmatic he was as a person, um, really felt like any any spending on any needless, what he would consider a needless adornment was like a big deal, and incredibly materialistic. Um, and he had a, he had a lot of strong language, which was not unlike other preachers at the time. That was kind of the style of preaching. It wasn't just him. but we, you know, we tend to read him more today and think, wow. Those are some some pretty harsh words. So it was definitely more of a fire and brimstone time where you could, as a priest, get after people pretty aggressively within your within your parish. <laughs> and he did. Um so I think kind of just getting past the language it was he was really serious and knowing a little bit about I mean generally, you know, practiced what he preached, but he had very little despite being an eccentric man, he was not eccentric in terms of any sort of materialism and I'm I often find myself curious like what brought this man joy <laughs> because so many of us would find joy through books like or you know silly little things but for him he had no patience for that so I, I thought that was interesting how his own his own interpretation of scripture really influenced it and it's easy to zoom out and not look at the particularities of his eccentricities as a person and kind of get to what he was saying that might apply more contextually um, but that's kind of where I got caught up with Wesley and his sermon yeah, it's
1: interesting to think about. You know, the Methodist movement began in England, uh, but it really never took off the way it did mm-hmm. in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- th- it's interesting to see how it might have affected uh, Puritan culture, mm-hmm. um, particularly the the pragmatic sense that um, if if you give yourself an inch, you're going to take a mile. So so. Do yourself a favor and don't adorn anything in your mm-hmm. life because you're, the more you adorn things, the more you're going to want more adorn adornments. Um, and, and and you know, I think if Wesley were here looking at our culture, you know, he'd probably say, "See, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does." It you know, I I will say a place where I I would disagree with Wesley is he really felt, he very strongly believed in original sin and that, you know, all all humans were inherently um, not able to trust ourselves or like what, you know, to get to our inner core. We we weren't really able to access that until we could kind of go through, God's grace could work on us to such an extent that we might achieve perfection. But he tends to focus more on um, that kind of like, if you give yourself an inch, you will take a mile. And we don't know a moderation at all. And, and we can't, we can't trust ourselves, you know, to find the limits. And I think there's good wisdom in that. I think there's good balance in having that voice and having other voices kind of talk that through, but it is, he, he decidedly falls um, in a very particular camp such that the chapel he first, you know, preached in is now, even, even at the time right after he died was adorned in such a way that he would have hated it. He would have hated all the custom woodwork. He, you know, he would have hated what it looked like. I remember visiting in it, and it was like this is fascinating because this is not what Wesley would have felt good about you know, of kind of being his home, his home church, which is now kind of a historical site. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it's it's interesting because he really does pick up heavily on Paul um, in in terms of of living in such a way that. Um, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to live in sin. And, mm-hmm. and the things that are that are adornments uh, become sin when they become idol, I, I easily idolized by us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and the, it, the problems are, obviously, we start thinking about things like art that may be costly but enrich our lives in so mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, where do you where do you draw some of those lines? And we've got, we have far more nuance today than, yeah. than Wesley ever allowed himself to
0: have. Yeah. I mean, he, and, and there's, it's not that there's not wisdom in that. He was very much, um, an abstinence preacher in terms of pretty much everything, right? It's not just regarding sex, but like, you know, <laughs> to there was
1: that <laughs>
0: yeah, he, he had some failed relationships. He did not relate well to women despite trying occasionally, but, um, you know, even with meat, Right. Like, he, you know, he was an ardent vegetarian and felt very passionate about that and that was some you know he took some more obscure scripture verses and, and really felt that, that that level of abstinence was required of him and, and that meat was some form of gluttony. So he he took it pretty much to the extreme, but he was um, earnest and very authentic and it, it's, an, it's interesting to engage with his work. Because even at the time, I think, um, one of the reasons his teachings caught off was because they were unique, or he was communicating in a way that folks had not heard as directly or as specifically.
1: Yeah, I think I told you, I'm pretty sure I never talked about it in podcasts, but uh, I did work on Wesley when I was in seminary at, uh, at Yale, and we had all of the documents from the Yale propagation uh, of the gospel in uh, in the Yale library, and I did looking um, research about Wesley's years and what they had to say about about Wesley, because that was the sending agency that sent him to Georgia Colonies. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And what they said about Wesley for the year that he was in the Colonies was, um, in as much as it can be said that John Wesley spares not himself, he spares not his congregation either. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah. He was rough. He was an intense man. And it's kind of interesting because, for those of you listening, we we do – um, we do have to critically engage with Wesley's, so particularly in seminary. So like Barry and I had to take multiple classes on what that looked like. And I'm guessing yours was probably similar, but we had to take, um, of the 150 sermons that are kind of in his publisher, we had to take 50 and we had to outline them all um, with, you know, if you read Wesley, it makes sense he's a Methodist because every single all of his sermons have <laughs> Roman numerals <laughs> and then they're like indented, they're organized with like, so they're all organized, and we would have to t- read, you know, the take one sermon, and then um, every single time there was a, a bullet point or a letter or some sort of Roman numeral, we had to uh, make it into one sentence. We had to summarize what he was saying into a sentence, and we had to do that with uh, fifty sermons one semester and fifty another. Wow. I know, I know.
1: No, I can't.
0: No, <laughs> this was a this was a Garrett, ironically yeah. not at Wesley Theological Seminary. I, this I was a Garrett. Seminary and, oh, you had to take your Methodist classes so, there, though, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Colin Williams, who was at the time like, f- first of all, he's a Brit and uh, and Wesley scholar, and uh, he was he was no no slouch and uh, kind of tough. Uh, but no, we didn't we didn't have to read
0: that many. Oh my gosh, certainly... it was brutal. Yeah. yeah, that was that class was hard because it's hard to engage with his work over it. <laughs> you know, like he's boring. He's intense, yeah. He's okay. he's an That's intense fellow. He's
1: intense. <laughs> not boring. Speaking yeah. of intense but not boring, fine sermon on Sunday.
0: Oh, good, thanks. Yeah. Very fine. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, uh, second service, as I've as I tend to do uh, when Jess is preaching. I slip off uh, to the front row so I can watch and take notes.
0: And... I wasn't sure what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I slip off. <laughs> Go get a coffee. Yeah, you do. Ha- you have notes in front of you, so this is fun. Um.
1: So, t- talk, if you would, about the decisions you made about about saving.
0: About saving?
1: Yeah. Like what? What you talked about in the sermon. What were some of the decisions you had to make? Because obviously. Couldn't talk about everything
0: yeah well i um in, in terms of basic structure this is not about saving i really spent the first part just explaining i've never i've never gotten a chance from a pulpit to talk about um kind of like our perspective on financial stewardship with the church so i've because i've never done that i felt like it might be nice just to take a beginning to say like hey this is how this works uh, because a lot of folks know that because we have a lot of leaders in the congregation, they understand. But there are also folks who are newer to Chapel Hill, which might might not know how that happens. So I did want to spend some time, um, you know, with my own language kind of explaining that. Regarding saving, what I really took um, from Wesley's sermon was not expending your resources for, for things that are folly and idolatry. So people will perceive you a particular way or think of you in a particular way, rather than really stemming from your own understanding. And so in, in a way, again, because it was my first kind of stewardship sermon, um, I preached what I will preach in many iterations again and again, because stewardship is aligning your values with your resources. That's what I think it is. That's what I think God calls us to. So thinking through what that looks like in my own personal life, I find that easier to do with money, Um some folks might not, but I think generally a lot of us find it easier to do with money than we do with our own time or our energy. I think it's it's harder uh, because it's not external. It's something that's kind of going on inside of us. And it's it's harder to think through or consider um, assessing what, what your resources are, like what your battery's at, what you have time and capacity for, and kind of thinking about what some boundaries you might want going forward and considering what what of your time and your energy you're giving to the things you say you value.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought that was helpful. Um, I, we, we tend not to think about um, reservation. Yeah. Uh, making sure that we're holding something back mm-hmm. in reserve because uh, we may want to or need to give more over here. And so... Uh, I'm not going to use it right here, right now, because I may not be critical in this moment, but I may be in this one. Um, and it, and it's, it's it's a balance, right? Because you're yeah. really never sure what you're going to need mm-hmm. in reserve, but you will need something in reserve. Yeah. And particularly the fuller your life is, the more, the more dependence you have, and it's not just kids, it's parents, it's you know, uh, folks that count on you for yeah. whatever it neighbor, is. Um, yeah, neighbor, whoever. And yourself. And, yes. And that, that, that making space for yourself is critically important as well. And that that is stewardship, and we tend to not think about that. We tend to put this in the money
0: category. Yeah. I, I really want – I know that you care a lot about this too, but helping people really see beyond that – um, like, I, you know, I want to get to a point where we can have conversations about how our financial stewardship here is really an outpouring in one facet of how we understand our lives as good stewards. And for me, the most important resource anyone has is, is themselves and their, <laughs> the gifts that they bring that God, you know, gave them. So it's, it's lovely. We have folks that are um, uh, really able to give a lot financially and, like, uh, we are grateful. And that's not the starting place for stewardship. And that's not really how those folks even came to those decisions to give generously. It's because they have a pretty good understanding of what stewardship looks like more broadly.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think generally we discover that when folks have it together in healthy ways in one area, they're able to do that in other areas.
0: Yeah. And with money, it can be, it can be so hard. It's, it's a much more emotional topic than we actually give it credit for we tend to think it's like detached and like unemotional when in reality um you know it's representative of a lot and and here um in our in our time in our culture a lot of us tie our own worth to our money right and yes and so it's very very hard to live in a world where you have to participate in a system that uses money and where people will will assess and judge you based on how much money you have when we're really trying to claim that we're all equally worthy under god's eye so what does worth really look like you know what is what is worth and that's that's a question society i don't think can answer for us if we if we follow christ
1: yeah I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I would I would say that what what we miss fundamentally and don't teach very well from birth to to death is that we are fundamentally worthy because we are created fundamentally yeah. worthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And the hardest thing is that uh, if even if everybody around us is convinced of that truth about us, we're hardest on ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And so it's it's that lifelong struggle So we look for the things that. We wrap ourselves around to show our worth and it might be the the great things we do it might be the our bene- benevolence it might be uh what we make or it might be our children and grandchildren whatever it is um in any in any case when we wrap ourselves around those little things we forget that we don't make ourselves worthy worthy has yes. already done that
0: yeah And I think, like, that's really what I think Wesley was kind of getting to. Like, do not, do not spend your time, capacity, and energy trying to prove, you know, prove to yourself, prove to anyone that you are anything other, you know, and I'm, I'm zhuzhing it up a little bit because he was a lot more direct and his was, I mean, his sermon is the use of money. So it's particularly about money, but I think that, I think that more broadly applies and um, we don't kind of like you were mentioning with this thing of reserving yourself, we don't live in a culture or a world that celebrates that. Having, you know, uh, reserving some of yourself. You know, we want you to spend it all. We want, we want you to give it all on the field, like go big or go home. And what we consistently find is in that kind of culture, we respond really well when there's a very intense emergency for a short amount of time. We do not, because we don't reserve anything, we do not do a good job of sustaining and building over long periods of time. And, like, you know, one very obvious example is disaster relief. Particularly with Methodists, but I think as a, as a society, we will swoop in after a tornado, we will clean up, you know, we will give you soup. And then three months later, Bye. yeah, three months later when you're in a FEMA trailer, we're like, okay, okay, like, I, I'm, I'm over it. You know, I gave too much already because uh, we we assume and we love to have this sense of urgency, and I think I th- I think sometimes that urgency maybe maybe kind of gets in our way.
1: Yeah. Well, and 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 Wesley had that difficulty in his relationships. <laughs> you know, I mean, not not to go into lots about about Wesley, but I mean, this is. Uh, a person that could never commit uh, to a relationship. And then when someone that loved him went on to a different relationship, Wesley got all ticked and hurt and, and, and made sure she couldn't get communion. Yeah.
0: Refused her <laughs> communion. And then he got ran out of town for being a sore loser. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> yeah,
1: let this be a lesson to you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really the perspective. Um, that, that I'm coming from regarding what saving what saving might look like and how do we how do we get to a better point where we can value assessing how much capacity and energy that we have and, you know, who do we want a lot of our energy going to? And you know, those are conversations that I that I've had with friends, those are conversations um, I've had with my spouse who who works a pretty emotionally intense job um, with a lot of folks that are hurting. So like thinking through, you know, like we've had that conversation when I worked in DC with a lot of unhoused folks, how do we, how do you like protect your own energy and and give what folks need of you, but not feel, um, yeah, not feel like you don't have anything else to give you the people that you say you value. And that's hard. It's, it's hard to think that through and to kind of have good boundaries and and realizing they might change. And it's kind of a day-to-day thing. Yeah.
1: and that saying no is a legitimate answer, so oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. you're able to reserve time, energy, money, um, your talents—excuse me—you um, know all all kinds of things that if I spend it all here, I'm going to exhaust myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: and exhaust the resources, and then I won't be able to spend any of that in this other place that is emerging.
0: Yeah, yeah that I that I say I value. Um, You know, I thought about this yesterday. It's it's. I'm just gonna say it. It sucks when you preach a sermon and like you're the person who needs to hear it the most.
1: The reality is we are always preaching. To ourselves. Yes. Oh
0: yeah. And I and I hope that comes across to you all who are listening. Like there's there's rarely a time where it's like oh, you know, I don't need to hear this about other people. It's always the other way. But you know, yesterday I, I'm back and I had a surgery like a week and a half ago and, you know, I preached twice and we had this potluck and it was wonderful, but I was doing a lot of peopleing. And then I um I had confirmation, which had some more peopling and then I had youth group at night. And I got home and I'm like, you know, I think I overdid it. You know, because what, it, like, it, it really dawned on me this really, like, it, it should be duh, but I'm physically still healing and my body requires more energy to, like, physically heal. And I never thought about this, but it, like, made me think, oh, the same thing happens when folks are emotionally healing, right? The same that when, you know, like, y- your body <laughs> needs that same time capacity gentleness with yourself when you're emotionally healing from something, let alone. Physically, now physically, we understand in society we have a lot of grace for that. Like I'm the only one who pushed myself. You all, as staff, were nothing but supportive and said, "Hey, you know, like what can we do to, you know, like uh, to support you in this?" And it was it was my miscalculation. No, I'm fine.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's what we do, right? Yeah. Now, you. That's what we do. Yes. Because we think um, we're supposed to bounce back. Yeah. Uh, we're supposed to be just okay, you know. And I was aware of that. Uh, when we went to Prince of Peace for a community Thanksgiving meal, and one of our colleagues, who's who's over the top empath, came up and said to me, "You're you're not okay." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh no, I'm I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. Uh, everything's not all put back together from from eight weeks of of, uh, of non renewal leave." Yeah. <laughs> and and you know and and same for you. I mean, the expectation that we're going to bounce back. That's nobody's expectation but ours.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, like I literally preached about that and I was like, wow, like what, you know, like what, what might I need to do differently in the future to really be able to tune in with myself and to let go of the same things?" Leslie Wesley was talking about, like pride or ego or thinking it'll be easier if I just do it myself. It's hard, um, you know, and I, I have this misconception that I would be letting people down or, you know, and I think a lot of us go through that. And and we work hard here to build relationships with staff such that that's not really how we understand ourselves. And, and we understand a lot of what we do is kind of like, hey, we're a team putting this together with unique roles. That I mean, that's the beauty of having a co-pastor too, of realizing like, oh, okay. Um, having, you know, having you back, even, even a little worse for wear has been like, oh, I, it's not all on my shoulders, right? Like I, I have a partner in this and we can, um, we can figure things out together. It helps me, you know, breathe easier in that sense. Um, oh yeah, I can literally breathe easier. Yeah. Um, but I think to the point I was saying before is how it, physically we do have, a, we have an understanding people were kind of surprised to see me back and like weren't really sure. We have a really we, we pretty generally understand when someone has a physical issue, that they need time. We do not when they have an emotional issue. We expect people to grieve very quickly. We expect them to only grieve the things that are okay to grieve um, the, the loss of someone in their life. That's, you know, but if a job is like, okay, you know, you know, like we don't, we don't build in that timer, that energy to think through what it might take to heal from something or having to say no from healing from something that is not a physical injury, but that is otherwise some sort of loss or grief. And it, it made me really think about that moving forward and how my, what I will do, when I'm experiencing loss or grief is try to add on more things to distract myself from it. And what I really need, like, you know, there's, there's no way out, but through it. And I've really had to kind of learn, okay, I need to kind of face this head on and give myself a little extra space, some of that reserve energy to do the healing. Cause my body needs more energy to heal, whether it is physical or emotional. Yep. You're like, yeah, I could have told you that you punk. (laughs) Well,
1: I mean, it's a thing that we have to keep rediscovering, right? Yeah. Because the culture gives us all kinds of counter mm-hmm. messages. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we message ourselves in ways that are fundamentally not, not helpful, helpful or healthy. And so, you know, it's ironic that we take a series that is written uh, around money and we find it's really not about money at all. It's yeah,
0: about,
1: it's about resources of all kinds, and resources are finite. Yes, um, they are abundant, but they're finite.
0: It, they're abundant and they're shared. They're shared in a collective, right? They're shared in community. They're not abundant within each of us at all times, and that's the part that's like ugh.
1: And they don't have to be.
0: And, and yeah, they're they're not designed to be. They shouldn't be. That's what. We don't love that, though. We don't love the finitude, and we don't love uh, not not being able to do it all ourselves. Somehow we've... It's kind of like that Puritan stuff where we kind of learned (laughs) we must, you know, work, 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 work.
1: Yeah. If it's not in my pocket, it's not available to me, which is nonsense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it makes me excited about some of the mutual aid conversations we're having here, and hopefully... Um, you're going to talk about charity this week, which I'm very excited for because we kind of need a reclamation of that word. Um, Christianity has not, has not done good by the word charity and how we understand it. Um, but we, we kind of need to move move ourselves to be in this place of, of relying on community and, and having enough available resources so that doesn't feel burdensome you know, to one individual or to a couple individuals.
1: Indeed. Well, anything else that you did not touch on? I think we hit on all of my notes.
0: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I wanted. To- <laughs> oh, oh oh oh, one thing. Mm, okay.
1: You made it. You made a, a point. Um, you know, straight, straight out of um, financial peace university, <laughs> that um, that everybody ought to have an emergency account. Oh right? yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so so I, I got to thinking about that emergency account. And I think it's not just financial either. Yeah. I think I think having a well, we go to um, around around a, a, a place for digging deep spiritually, place to go with our emotional burdens, mm-hmm. uh, with our with our family struggles, and it is certainly money as well. Having mm-hmm. a financial backup if, if there's if there's a car accident or whatever it is, anything that you would. Um, was about and any place you wanted to go that that you think
0: yeah uh, that was limited to to be heard in a different way um i I generally felt i i hope it was heard in the way that i wanted it to um what i really wanted folks to know is um there's there is this rightful and it's not that it's not fair perception that just churches just want your money and um like at one level like we want to keep the lights on, like yeah, but th- we don't just want your money. We want people to live meaningful lives of discipleship, which includes stewardship. Like you and I don't own this church. We're not even members of this church. It's our role and responsibility to make sure um, folks are living into meaningful discipleship here, and that's part of it. So all of that to say, like I think, um, you know, if someone if someone was tithing and doesn't have an emergency savings account, like that, I, that seems like a very stressful place to be. And in grad school, I was in a place like very similar to that. And that was really hard. And I was a resentful giver, you know, and that's not really what, we, what God no. calls us to. Right. You know, so I think, um, I think you're right, too, in extending that beyond just, just the finance pieces, but thinking through like, what are those, what are those safety nets? Like, do you, um, do you need to have a therapist? Like, is there, is there your friend you can call and you can say, hey, I need you to hear me vent? I don't need you to problem solve, like, but I need, you know, um, I, I need you in, in this, in this regard in my life. And I I think about this because again, I'm a list maker and I need to I need to I need to externally process things to understand them, right? So I know you're you're laughing because you you often get a lot of my external processing. But I need to say things out loud um, or write them down before they kind of cement in my brain. Or sometimes before I even know what I think about something, I can be of two minds of something, and I'm not sure where I'm landing, and I need to figure it out. So my um, campus minister Jenny, oh, I was the office manager and co you know co president, um, and my campus ministry at the Wesley Foundation and, and she worked with me and she's like hey here's some things I've noticed about working with you when you feel like this like this is something that will help <laughs> when you you know when you when you say like this phrase um, I know you're hangry and like w- you know can I help you get food because um, I was a young adult and like I did not know how to take care of myself while I was just figuring that out so it was lovely to have have her help me in that and that's a kind of like you know it doesn't need to be as basic as that but, you know, when do, I, when do I need to call my mama? You know, like when, when do I just need to be able to have those people resources so I'm not a burden to them, but they're my people that I can get a hold of. And when do I need to say, it's my time to go on a walk? You know, I, I, need, I need that in my kind of emergency savings, you know, a kit of what I might need in particular situations.
1: We imagine that um, it's not okay to need something. Oh, so yeah. We imagine that people are going to be put out if we ask for something. Yes. You know, uh, we were sitting in staff a little while ago, and one of the staff said, hey, uh, would you, are you around this weekend? Would you be able and willing to watch my dog? And you went, oh, I would love yes. that. Yes, right. and so I will. <laughs> and, and, and so that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, uh, it's not always easy to ask, but mm-hmm. it's seldom unwelcome. Yeah. And people, people people have agency and you can trust them to say you know i just can't do that right now
0: yeah hopefully i think people need to work on that part of it too but sure. yeah sure but you you know it's kind of you don't you don't get what you don't ask for right so there's that and there's the being able to be vulnerable enough to say hey i need help in this way like this would be really helpful for me and i'm curious if my community that cares about me could help with this yep. and that's incredibly courageous to do and it's hard to do and um yeah
1: if you try sometime you may find you get what you need
0: <laughs> oh my gosh i'm holding or back saying you would but <laughs> the <rolling stones. laughs> yeah there are other a few other rabbit holes i went down not many and it was a um it was a shorter message for me again i think that was uh, surgery recovery but i said all that i had i had to say i didn't have much more um and i'm hopeful Folks can think about stewardship in, in a more broad way. That's really, that's you, you and I had that goal going into this because um, we haven't had like a a stewardship sermon series in a while since I've been here. We've been, you know, we've had the pandemic and we've been doing all sorts of, you know, so now we're kind of um, thinking through and, and realizing let's, it's been a little bit in the cycle and the congregation might need to re-engage with this in a new way as folks' resources and seasons of life are different.
1: And let's just say people don't kind of know this intuitively no right so there's nowhere else you'd learn it and and the stuff around how the decisions get made in the church if you don't learn that you would have no clue yeah because we don't go around like waving the flags about about how uh, money decisions get made and yet Mm -hmm. it's everybody's right to know
0: yeah and like if you don't take uh the like our our um kind of intro to Chapel Hill class. And if you don't, not only if you don't take it, but if you don't remember every single detail that's shared. <laughs> you know. So I think figuring out some of those bits of communication and having them having them being kind of regular parts of our, our gig, that was another one of our goals too, being able to explain transparently like, hey, this is what's going on. This is not a secret. We don't talk about it constantly because it's frankly like Wesley's sermons can be a little boring.
1: <laughs> and if any of you out there got all, all excited when you heard intro to Chapel Hill, Hang on, the classes are coming to you.
0: They are, they are, and they're they're a hoot. They're a good time. Well, That's... we'll
1: be wrapping up the series on Sunday with uh, with Wesley's theology of, of charity, which is um, in in, in uh, what did I say? I thought you shook
0: your head. Oh, I was adjusting my hair. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was I, in my I you, face.
1: Disagree <laughs> with me. <No. laughs>
0: We will no. be doing,
1: I thought I was not doing theology of charity. No, you sure
0: are. I'm sorry that was not a charitable <laughs> response to your. <laughs> yeah, so give all you can is the kind of last bullet point of Wesley's sermon. And, and Barry will be talking to us about what charity really is and what it looks like. Which is sorely needed. So we'll see you there.
1: All right.